Hey, welcome. Welcome to episode four of Cracking the Code of 21st Century Ministry. We're here with Steve Pike, author of Next Wave, Discovering the 21st Century Church. And we'll be diving into that in just a minute here. I'm Kirk Hadden. I'm filling in for Jason Bowman. And Jason and I have loved being just a small part of getting this message out there, partnering with Steve to, to uh, get this message out there. And, and today, we are diving into shift number four. We've been working our way through 12 mindset shifts for 21st century ministry. Today, we're looking at shift four, rethinking team building. Steve, what are we thinking about team building? <laughs> yeah, what's the shift? Yeah, so, uh, you know, if you if you get the book, I'm, I'm, I'm basically contrasting kind of the dominant viewpoints of the 20th century and, and what those need to shift to in the 21st century for us to be effectively with Jesus on his mission. And um, as I as I was writing the book and thinking about what those shifts need to be, one of the ones that was really obvious to me was this idea of team building. And it goes back to, so if you go back maybe to the mid part of the last century, uh, the dominant idea for like the, when, when people talked about starting churches, um, usually the picture that came to mind was this kind of lonely hero pioneer guy that, you know, hitched up his covered wagon and his, and threw his wife in the back and, and moved into some, you know, place and just by himself on his own, did this heroic thing, raised up this great church that, you know, 20 years later was thousands of people, all this kind of stuff. So that was kind of the, that was kind of the mythological thing. And, and the picture was this individual hero that did it by himself. And that, those were the people we sort of put on the platforms. And, you know, after, after doing that for a while, we realized that's really kind of dumb. <laughs> to just go by yourself, you know? And so, you know, the, there was a great, the, the, so that was like the old 20th century idea. The new, the newer, better improved version was, Hey, wait a minute, don't do anything by yourself. Church starting a church is a team sport and you need to get a team around you and do that. And so uh, the, the shift at that point was from the, the lonely pioneer to the, person building a team. And the, the way churches were started in the 20th century was really more oriented around, we need to create a really good church that will be attractive to people that, uh, you know, either have been a part of church, used to be part of church, and it's something that'll make them want to come back to church. And so to do that, you got to have a great team of people that can put on kind of a great church program. You know, you want to go out and get the best worship leader that you possibly can and get the best youth leader and the best children's leader and, you know, everybody. So what happened was when, when church planners started thinking about building a team, they were, they would go down the list of all the people they knew. And sometimes they would <laughs> try to recruit it's like like a you know kind of a baseball team recruiting some other team's best player to their team or you know like right now Denver Broncos are trying to get we're hoping to get Aaron Rodgers from the Green Bay Packers to to solve our quarterback problem you know and so that's kind of what started happening was this new interesting dynamic came out where these these church planners were were going to like the best youth pastor or the best worship leader and saying hey why don't you come with me and we're going to build this great church together. And, you know, the whole concept and idea was 
that you would get the best worship leader you could or whoever so that the worship experience was phenomenal or you'd have a really good youth ministry because you had this great youth pastor. And so what happened was like I, I had this experience as, as a church planning leader over a denomination. I would go to speak at places and, you know, a, a young church planner would come up to me and say, hey, I want to introduce you to my team. And uh, their team would be, he'd say, you know, this is my executive pastor, and this is my youth pastor, and this is my worship pastor. And everybody had a, a name and a title. And, um, you know, it was very impressive. And I'd say, well, tell me about your church. Well, we're planning to launch, you know, six months from now or three months from now or something like that. And so they had all these people with all these titles, positions but there really wasn't a church yet. You know, there really weren't people that to be served by that. And, and so that was kind of the mentality of the 20th century church. And honestly, it, you know, it works pretty well in places where there's sort of a critical mass of people who are, have left church, but love Jesus. And, you know, they, they, this, the idea was let's present a better version of church. And, and so a lot of churches were started that way. And, and, but, but the problem that that created for us strategically as the body of Christ was that we, that de-incentivized us from going to places that are really hard to go. Um, you know, it literally, if you've got, if your success is based on attracting a bunch of people who already have a favorable idea of the church already, just, they're already maybe even following Jesus. Um, the, the, um, uh, the, the problem is that, you, you know, that prevents you from going to places where church is not looked on with favor, um, where there's not a whole bunch of people just waiting for a good church to show up, or where the economic reality of the neighborhood won't support that. Even if they are people who want to be part of church, they just don't have the financial wherewithal. And so the church ended up, many of our church planning efforts ended up only going to places where the right set of circumstances existed, where that approach to team building. And so I start, and, and my focus when I started Urban Islands Project, which is the organization that helps people go to cities, I, this was a huge problem because you can't, you just, people don't care in the city that you've got the best worship leader in the world necessarily. Um, they, and so I, I started thinking about what are the characteristics that are needed for teams. And I started looking at churches that have been effective in urban areas. And I realized what they did was they shifted from looking for, from basically building teams with titled positions to building teams with people that were personally on a mission with Jesus and we're interested in being part of Jesus's mission in a particular context. And they brought who they are, whatever their gifts and skill sets were, to that endeavor. And that's what it's going to take in the 21st century for us to reach the places, for the church to show up in places where um, the, the, the right mix to, to start that other kind of church are, are just not present. Um, and so today, uh, uh, to help us talk about this, I've invited my friend, Dr. David Dukason, who, when I first met him, was not a doctor. He was just a guy, <laughs> just a regular person. And now he's like really smart and I'm a little intimidated by him. You know, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm still just a normal guy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you are too. I'm kind of kidding, but, but actually David, David, uh, uh, 
has has just had an amazing uh, uh, time of ministry over. The, what has it been, man? I think yeah, the first time you and I sat down was like 20, 2008 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I've been what, a minister since 2001. So. Yeah. Right. But I think you were at that moment, you were transitioning from being like a staff pastor and you were considering yeah, the idea planting. of starting a church. Yeah. 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 yeah you're a huge, huge part of that story and, uh, and always an honor to, to, to join, join you in any conversation. Uh, Steve uh, met me in the middle of an existential crisis where it's like the world needs to be different and the church needs to be different. And, you know, I was like 20, nothing and like full of passion. And Steve was like, can you breathe for a second? <laughs> so, so, uh, so yeah, thank you. Thank you, uh, Kirk and Steve for having me today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so David over those, those, I mean, maybe some of this is, is before I met you, but I know you just, we were talking earlier today and you, you mentioned that you're, you're working on starting your fifth organization, counting yeah. churches that you planted and stuff like that. And one of, you know, you've, the reason I wanted you to talk, help talk about this subject is because you've had to, you've had to learn team building yeah. from a lot of different perspectives. And um, so why don't you just give everybody a quick flyover of, you know, maybe you said five organizations talk about, you know, what, what you've been up to just to give people a sense of who they're talking to or who they're yeah. listening to. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, David Dukason, and um, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, with uh, my wife and my four teenage kids now, which is crazy. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, we just have had a, a twenty-year run in ministry where we kind of started off in the the mega church and um, did that for eight years, various different roles. Um, but then, really, just started to feel the itch that if I really had all these opinions about the way that the world should be, that the way that I needed to address it was by bringing. Um, new wineskins into the world, right? You know, new wineskins carry new wine. And, um, and so if we believe that we can either, you know, cry and moan about it from the sidelines, or we can just jump into the arena and go for it. And, um, and so in 2008, I met you and, uh, you know, that, that, that was a real important moment for me because we, we really were having these moments like, um, you know, just, we see the world one way. We feel like the church should look like this. And, and you know, a lot of passion in my, my late twenties and, and, uh, and Steve, uh, you really became, and you know, this, I'm just telling everybody else, this just became somebody that, um, that really shepherded us through where to direct that passion. And, um, so we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, we, I always say that we rode shotgun, started an organization, um, that, um, became this beautiful church family um, a year and a half later, uh, that organization, that church sent us out. We started another church, which I ended up pastoring for 11 years. Um, uh, that's the one where, uh, you know, in, in my book that, that I wrote, Neighborliness, I kind of talk about that journey of uh, everything was word of mouth. We had built this beautiful church family, and then I realized this church for this church family looks exactly like me, <laughs> and uh, it was just incredibly homogenous in the middle of a very diverse city. Um, that's the journey that the Lord started to put us on towards uh, racial and economic justice, um, biblical justice, and um, ended up moving that church family into uh, a dividing line right in our city between very, very wealthy and very, very historically generationally poor. Um, 
community and God just did so many beautiful things there. Our third organization was based off of um, my doctoral studies, uh, which was an organization that uh, helps families break cycles of generational poverty. Um, ended up about two years ago, stepping down from that, we launched another organization that covers our ministry right now, which is just called Dukas and Ministries. Um, and so that's a national and international, you know, speaking, writing, teaching, consulting organization. And then we're in the process right now of on the heels of seeing, you know, people respond to the message of neighborliness. Uh, we're starting an organization right now called the Neighborliness Center, which will focus on research uh, in areas of racial and economic justice and the church's response to it, um, policy advocacy and designing frameworks for churches and organizations to engage in biblical justice. So that's, that's all I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you find something to do that's worthwhile? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's Coffee. amazing. Coffee. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. You got to caffeinate yourself to keep up with all yeah, that. And I, and I would say like, you know, you know, whenever we jump on these calls, like it's so easy to like look at the highlight reel and and see. And I mean, God's done some really beautiful stuff. And, you know, we get to share this message in a lot of different places right now. But I, I really will say kind of rooting into this conversation, um, it is the people that God brought alongside of us that that I started to realize probably one of the biggest lessons that I learned about team building, like right off the jump was there are certain things that I'm gifted at. But for an organization to truly come to life and be sustainable beyond what I can do, right. um, you have to get the right people on board. And, yeah. and the, the role of the leader, if it's not uh, oriented in a way where I'm here to serve my team, not just lead my team, you know, I'm not yeah. afraid of leadership, but, but, but I need to have a heart of like, I'm here to serve my team and to pull out the greatest giftings in them. And to make yeah. sure that, that we're creating organizations that allow people to flourish. Um, I just have seen that those become very um, toxic organizations when it's just top-down leadership that, um, yeah. you know, so that's something that one of the greatest joys of my life is that there are three organizations that we've started that I no longer lead that are flourishing. And right. it just makes me so happy. You know, it makes me, right. it fills my heart with joy. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. And you, you, that was a nice segue into the, you know, the focus where there's so much stuff we could explore with you. And we're not limited to just talking yeah. about team building. Uh, and I actually do want to um, get, I want to, I want to talk about the unique challenges of building a diverse team when you're talking about mm -hmm. um, eth ethnic diversity. But let's just talk, let's start a little more general and then, and then maybe drill down yeah. to that. And uh, you just already kind of mentioned one of the one of the key learnings is that um, you know as a as a leader of a team, uh, a healthy leader is actually excited <laughs> when the team members um, take responsibility and actually yeah. uh, be become um, you know at, well like you said you've got three organizations that you're not even involved with anymore that you've got the privilege of starting but other people took it. And those were probably team members you recruited on. So, you know, there's a ax axiom that um, is kind of kicked around in church planning uh, training events and something like the first hundred people determine the next 300 people or something like mm -hmm. that. So, mm -hmm. so the idea is those, that initial group of people you bring around you is super important because it's there. They really, they really established the DNA. And yeah. um, so, so one of the um, 
you know, one of the things that that is the sort of I, I wanted to sort of zero in on in this chapter, uh, in this idea of, of making the shift from title positions to people on a mission with Jesus is that the first thing you look for, even though the gifts, yeah, you want to draw out the gifts, you actually want to activate those gifts, you actually do want people to bring their best stuff to make the team great. And like you say, find people that are better than you at stuff and empower them. But uh, what I, what I'm suggesting in the book is that they've got to start, you've got to, they've got to have the right foundation. You know, it's like, you can't uh, just because somebody's a skilled, whatever doesn't mean they're the right person. And I'm suggesting that before you, you want your pool to be people who have the right, they're, they're on, uh, they're tracking with you missionally. They're tracking with Jesus yeah. missionally. They yeah. have a real relationship with Jesus first. And so I guess my question is, does that resonate with you? And, yeah, and what, have, you know, what I, have you learned? Of, what are the lessons you learned? Hard lessons, maybe and that kind of stuff. <laughs> so do we want to, we want to go hard lessons for the rest of the time? Cause I can absolutely do that, but um, well, that'll but, balance know. out. That'll balance <laughs> out the, the, the amazing uh, flyover you just did. Where yeah, it's like, wow, yeah. this guy is incredible. And the, yeah. now you can tell us about how you screwed up. <laughs> no, actually, one of the one of the books that I want to do in the future, I don't know what we would call it, but it's the idea of dreams and disillusionment. Because mm. when you get punched in the mouth, um, I feel like I need to go copyright that now. But like, um, you know, when you get punched in the mouth, that's when you're really learning. And um, lots of us have dreams, but it's the 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 organizational leaders that can keep moving past the disillusionment, the disappointment, and still trust the sovereignty of God. That those are my biggest lessons, right? Is like faithfulness in, 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 you know, mistakes or things that have, you know, externally impacted an organization, but that's not, that's not here nor there. So if anybody wants that book, let me know so I can be inspired to write it. But, um, you know, one of the things that I would say is that um, at the beginning of an organization, um, you know, you know, Steve, you talk about, you know, not giving away titles too soon, you know, and the way that I would say that, from things that I've learned is that uh, culture fit, uh, a heart, a spirit, um, what the Holy Spirit has placed inside of you for the organization. Culture fit is more important than organizational flowchart fit at the beginning of an organization, yeah. um, because you know I, I I just laugh at myself, my my younger self. I'm 41 now, so I, I feel like I've still got a good run in me right now. But I my younger self, my 20 something self loved organizational charts, um, you know, like vision casting for an organization. This is what it's going to look like, but I didn't have people to fill it. And so what I was doing is I was trying to fill positions instead of finding the people that the Holy spirit was bringing that maybe they weren't ready for that position. Um, one of the greatest lessons that I learned was when I, when I was learning to listen to the, to the sweetness of the Holy spirit um, we saw this young lady walk in the, in the back of the room and from the moment I saw her, I, I have no idea how this stuff works. Right. But like, from the moment I saw her, I was like, man, there's something about her. She just kind of has that, you know, whatever about her, a magnetic personality, really sweet. Um, but, but immediately I felt like the Lord put on my heart, you make sure that she's whole and healed before you go after her. Mm. And, and that was before I met her. I just, I saw her, I saw the way she was interacting in the, in the back of our church and I didn't know who she was. And I was like, wow, um, it took 10 years mm. for her 
to walk through a journey. It turned out that she was really hurt by a lot of stuff in the past in her church. She became like a part of our church family. She began to be like co-leaders at that group. She, and now she's a primary communicator at one of the churches that we started. She is, um, you know, the associate pastor of the whole church. Um, and she has been raised up and that's not, that's not me. There was an amazing group of people that discipled her, right. Uh, including my wife. And, but I guess what I'm saying is like, we get impatient right. when we see people. And, um, and so I would say, just remember, you know, that culture fit is more important. What I recognized in her was the vibe about who she was. The more that I got to know her, I saw her character. The more that I got to know her, I also started to see the brokenness of, of leaders in the past that had used her because of that. And when she was whole and healed, um, she was able to be released fully into the giftedness that God uh, you yeah. know, had given her. Um, I, I would say another thing that I've learned, and, and this is definitely an indictment on the earlier me is um, I think that all too often, and I still have to pray about it to this day because, you know, I've got that entrepreneurial spirit is um, I have to make sure that I'm not viewing people as commodities, right? Like people are not commodities. They are not, they are not there to be discipled into my image or into the image of this organization. People, you know, the, the pastoral call, or I would even say, you know, pastoral call is a little bit different, but if you, you can, you know, contextualize it for an organizational leader, is that as a pastor, I'm called to identify, to call out, to disciple, and to raise up and then to release, right? And so sometimes when you raise up folks and, um, and you're just viewing them as a, um, an asset to your organization, what ends up happening is they start looking like your organization instead of looking like Jesus, you know? Mm. And, and so um, I would just say, just be really careful, you know, to not view um, people as commodities, because, you know, our role is not to collect the greatest commodities, um, and the greatest amount of assets. Our, our role is genuinely to lead with open hands. And I, I had a pastor say to me once, um, our second church plant in 10 years sent out 40 missionaries across the world. Um, and my, one of my pastor friends said to me, you could be one of the largest mega churches in our area but here you are at a couple hundred people, but you've sent out 40 leaders, you know, like 40 of your best leaders. And, and my response to him was, man, I'm not raising them up for the benefit of this church family. I think the church is doing exactly like, like I really genuinely believe that this church that we planted, though there's no one on earth that could ever count how big the church is, right? Because the church is the kingdom of God and we send out a bunch of people all over the world. And so when you don't view people as commodities, which I'm guilty of in the past and, and still literally, I just prayed it two days ago, you know, we're starting another organization, you know, so I, I have to say, God help my instinct to not be so entrepreneurial and driven by the world's methods that I'm not just viewing people as like, Oh, I wonder if that, if they could be this for that, or even with my book, I don't want to meet people saying, I wonder what they could do to help me get this out even farther. Right. Cause I believe in the message. So it's easy to pervert leadership. And I would just say, um, let's make sure that we keep a pure heart in that. That is really good. And uh, if, if you're just joining us here, we are talking to Steve Pike, author of Next Wave, uh, and uh, Dr. David Dukason, uh, author of Neighborliness. And we're talking about team building today. 
and uh, would inv invite you into that conversation. You can send us your questions and we'd like to incorporate those. And we had one come in that I feel like goes right along with what you're talking about right now, David. Great. Um, how do you balance the tension of needing to protect against mission drift, uh, but also allowing people to have ownership and to have uh, be sensitive to their gifts and passions? How do you how do you combine that? You So you've got an organization, we don't want to consider them commodities, but we also have a mission for this organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's the balance or the, the tension of bringing other people in that have their own slightly different mm -hmm. gifts and passions? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So whoever asked that, thank you for, you know, for bringing that. I think it's super important. Um, I think that if you have a, a mission that everybody can repeat, um, it's not, it's not all the words that are beautiful smashed together in four sentences, you know, a, a short um, vision that people can capture. I think that if you have um, very clear, this is who we are, this is what we're about. Um, then you can have people come into the organization and as the leader, you better be able to like say back what the mission of that organization is. Right. And so I would tell people all the time, like, um, you know, for instance, in the churches that we started, um, which is different than some of the nonprofit stuff that we've done, but the churches, we would have these like new member classes. And I would tell the story about my friend, uh, Greg Ford. And I would say that, um, you know, he would literally on his first date, he asked his wife or his future wife. Um, he said, babe, are you going to eat that? And he finished his wife's meal. And he was like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. So like, this is who I am. And so I'm just going to do this. Right. And so, so Greg and, and Steve knows Greg really well. Uh, Shaylin said that she just liked his confidence and she liked his, his vibe. And, and he said that he liked the fact that she was cool with him doing that. And I, and I would always tell that in my new member class, because I would just say, Hey, there's a few things that are really important to us. And if you don't fit here, it actually doesn't make you bad. It just makes you different than what we're going after. And so to me, the key to, guarding against mission fit is like, just be confident in who you are, right? Be confident in who you are. Um, sh share the vision in various different ways over and over and over and over again. And, um, and then be okay with telling people it's just not the right fit. You know, I literally, you know, I mean, this will be really overt sometimes and sometimes it'll be really painful. I had a guy come into our church early on and he came to me right after church and he said something that was just like so drastically like, this is what I'm about. And, um, and I just want to know if you're about that too. And I was like, dude, it's nice to meet you. I'm David. You know, I was like trying to bring it back to like some sort of human level. And, um, and within 10 seconds, I heard myself saying to him, man, there's some awesome churches here in town. You know, you're welcome here. I just don't know if it's going to be a fit if that's what you're looking for. And so I think that leaders just have to be confident to be able to say, this is what we're about. This is what we're doing. Um, you know, I always tell people lead with an open hand. I mean, maybe somebody's trying to tell you something, teach you something in those moments that maybe you're the one that needs to shift. But for the most part, God's put this organization in your heart, you know, like you're the one that, that is, that is, you know, like envision this thing and is trying to carry it out. And um, I would just say, be confident and, and make sure that you're really clearly in various different ways. Like one of the things that I always try and think of is, am I saying the vision without telling people that I'm saying the vision when I'm preaching and teaching am am I communicating the vision that matches the heart of what God has called us to do? So as long as you're communicating vision can, can repeat it and then have the confidence to just say, you know, I love you, but 
maybe this isn't the best fit, you know, like, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the first story you told about the, the young lady that, you know, you saw and you thought there's, yeah. there's something there. That's a great illustration of, of, of what you're talking about is you took the time to not only, you know, evidently there was some healing that needed to take place in her life, but mm-hmm. the other thing I want to just bring into this, this right now is the idea that you, in the case, so in her case, you observed her maturing process over a yeah. period of time. Yeah. And, and when you, so, so that's a really key thing because I think what, sometimes we're so anxious to get the position filled that we'll ask people some questions like, well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And the questions are all based on what's your philosophy about this or philosophy about that? Well, so for instance, somebody might say, you know, what, what do you think about evangelism? Well, I think evangelism is important. And I think, every, you know, it's, it's something we should all be involved in, blah, blah, blah. But a better question might be, give me an example of how you have shared your faith with somebody in the last two weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and what you're doing is you're, you're actually, uh, their behavior is telling you where their heart is at, you know, because that's yeah. out of the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's another scripture that says, don't lay hands on anybody. Suddenly that's a, a paraphrase of, of the scripture. And, and that's what we're talking about is, you know, giving yourself some space to kind of, observe people, how, how they, you know, what's mm-hmm. going on in their life. And, and when you get to a point where you're like, okay, this is a solid person. This is a person who they're not perfect, but they're, they're, they naturally are in alignment naturally in the mm-hmm. sense of it's just, it's just what the way they're living life is the way we want to live life as a community. And so they, then you can trust that person because you know, at the, at the core of their being, uh, they're going to be uh, making micro decisions that align with yeah. the vision of the organization kind of thing. So you, you get there, not by necessarily asking them what they think, but by w- observing what they do. Well, and, and not only you, that, Steve, it's, I mean, to, to take that story even further, um, when you lead with an open hand with people realizing that they're not commodities, realizing that they're gifted and called to do something that God has called them to do. When you're pursuing God's call, not only for the organization, but for the people, that you're that you're you're gifted with the opportunity to have servant leadership alongside. Um, we let go of Ashley twice. Now, now I'm not let go, not like fired, right? She came to us. Now remember, she is exactly what we were looking for. <laughs> you know, and in a church plant, you need exactly what yeah. you're looking for right. in spades. You need it all over the place. Right. Um, I'll never forget when she came to uh, our house, tears in her eyes, and said you know, this, this church has changed my life. And, um, and she said, um, I feel like God's calling me to, to move to Africa. And I was like, well, crap. No, no. (laughs) And well, crap was my first reaction because I'm, you know, imperfect. What I felt my spirit rising up saying is, yeah, yeah, I, I totally see that. And then she did an amazing you know, year, year and a half in Africa and uh, called us from Africa and said, I feel like the Lord's calling us back. And I was like, finally. And then um, <laughs> she comes back, settles back into the community, comes back a year and a half later, two years later, you know, what, and I don't know what my timelines are here, but remember this was a 10 year journey. Right. And so I still feel like she's everything that we 
we're looking for. I never felt like the Lord put on my heart though, that we needed to officially bring her onto the team. Um, she was everything that represented the beauty of the gospel that we wanted to see in our community. She came back to us and said, I feel like the Lord's calling me to move to uh, Asia. I was like, again, what, you know, <laughs> I felt my spirit spirit rise up again and say, okay, you know, like I, I see that. And so by the time she got done with an assignment that she did in Asia, she came back, settled back into the community. Um, I, offered her a position and said, I said, I really feel like you're supposed to be on the team with us. Um, and I said, why don't you just pray about it? You know, let's take, let's take a couple of weeks and just pray. And during those couple of weeks is when the Lord started to drop on my heart that it was time for me to transition out. So she is a vital piece yeah. of carrying on the vision of the organization that I'm not, I, I never even got the joy of doing one day in the office officially with her. Um, <laughs> So I guess what I'm saying is just make sure that you understand that God is calling you to raise up people, not raise up, you know, the, um, what you want, you know? Uh, so that's, so yeah, lead with an open hand. So, um, one of the other things that I wrote down, I don't want to forget this, um, is <laughs> I would say it's easier to, uh, it's easier to put someone in a position than to take someone out. So just yeah. remember that, uh, the biggest trauma of, and not even close, the biggest trauma of my uh, leadership, pastoral, organizational leadership journey has been when, uh, when I thought that I needed a position. And so I titled it. Um, it's easier to hand out a title than to take one away, right? So that's, an, that's a volunteer role. Um, and it's easier to say, you know what? you know, here, here's 50 grand and, and, uh, you know, and, uh, da, 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 da. why don't you become our director of blah, you know, whatever it is. Right. Um, and when that director of whatever turns out to not have the character to match the position, the title doesn't match the heart or the, or the readiness. Um, I have made those mistakes more times than I want to admit and taking somebody out creates relational trauma. There's layers of trauma in an organization. Um, the leader feels like you got to bunker down when you got to let somebody go um, or take away a position. And you're just like getting hit from everywhere. And you just hope that you have a really good team around you that can help with hits, you know, because a good leader is not going to be talking about why that person had to be let go. Right. So you just got to, you just kind of hold almost all the details and stand in front of everybody and say, you know, Hey, there's, there's a new season. You know, I, I'm not hiding from this. I did have to let this person go, but I want you to know that, that we do love them and da, da, da. and it could have created some of the most pain that you've ever felt in your entire life, but you're still having to stand in front of everybody. And I, I, I go back anytime I've had to do that. I always go back to, I put somebody in a position too fast. Uh, I didn't, I didn't look at their, their heart, their character enough or their marriage or their, you know, their um, yeah, just their readiness. And so um, Ashley is a beautiful example of patience. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes I think that the end result of somebody being let go can actually, it's a combination of their fault and my fault. Um, you know, that I, I just, I just, you know, I jump too soon. And, um, and so just be careful with that. 
That's great stuff. And, and again, if you're, if you're just joining us, we're talking to uh, Dr. David Dugason and Steve Pike here about team building in the 21st century. And uh, welcome any questions that you would like to send our way. And you guys have been talking about this, both you, Steve, and uh, you, David, uh, in various ways of what you're looking for when you're identifying those potential leaders. But I wonder if there's other items that you'd add to that list. Like when you go to identify new potential leaders, how do you know you've found someone? Well, I'm I, Steve. I want to honor you. Like this is a no, show, but, no, um, no, no, no. Yeah, no, I mean, one <laughs> of the things ahead, that I'm always looking for is I'm looking for people that um, are already behaving in a way that the title would match. So I'm always looking for people that are already um, like like by the time we called Steve, Pastor Steve for five years, he was pastoring people. I mean, he had, he, he had people in his homes. He had, so I'm always looking, are they, are they drawing the group of people that they would be shepherding or leading, you know, in an, in an organizational role. So if we take it outside, I know that this could be kind of broad. I don't want to do everything. So we've got a, um, you know, some nonprofit experience too. Are, are you, are you engaging with the community that you say that you want to engage with? <laughs> you know, like, are you already doing this stuff that you say, you know, um, or if it's a younger leader, um, it, that's a bit more instinctive, right? And, and in church planting and in starting organizations, you, you got to get young, passionate, let's be honest, you know, less expensive than a 45 year old with a doctorate, you know, like, um, so are they reading the right things? If, if, I, if I'm saying, hey, um, man, I noticed that you, you really seem to have a heart for this area that, we, that we're really interested in, you know, would you, would you read this? So that's like a test for me is like, it's not just inviting somebody into a conversation. It's literally like, that's one of my tests is like, hey, will you read this? And then if they actually read it and come back with some substantive stuff, I know that I found somebody that instinctively might have you know, the juice to really run with this type of position. And so, you know, like even college students, you know, pay attention to what people are passionate about, what they're studying and stuff like that. Um, and so for me, I'm just, um, with younger leaders, I'm trying to, I'm trying to say this in a more concise way. Um, with younger leaders, I'm looking for proof of passion and instinct. Um, with, with more mature leaders, I'm looking for a, a history of, no, they, they're about this, right? Um, I had an older couple that we ended up uh, asking to become elders in our church. Well, they were operating in that way, you know, as 70-year-olds in a, in a group of, you know, predominantly 20, 30, and 40-year-olds. They were shepherding people, had breakfast at their home with all these young, young folks in our church. And, and so for me, if they're young, I'm looking for the instinct and the passion and the commitment and if they're older, I'm just looking for people with a little bit of a track record. And, um, and then with both of them, I want to observe it long enough to feel like by the time I hand out a title, um, that, that it's something that I feel instinctively is going to work, you know? And then, you know, we didn't really get into how to hire from the outside and stuff like that. That's, that's all internal stuff, which is, um, if you can't tell, um, my, my baseline is I'm always trying to hire and raise up from the inside. Right. doesn't always work. But yeah, that's that's what I'm looking for. That is so that's such good stuff, David. Um, very I, I like 
you, you basically were, were, were saying that you, you, you yeah, you, you want to see somebody doing something before you give them a title mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. giving them a title and then hoping they do what mm-hmm. you're saying. And that's, that's really important. Yeah. In fact, in fact, that, um, I want to, I want to kind of transition here in a second. I just want to, can I say uh, one, can I say yeah. one thought just real quick, just about yeah. hiring from the outside. This is what I, this is what I learned about hiring from the outside. Um, I actually need to find a way to get past the references that they're giving me um, because for whatever reason, they're the ones that they think people are going to say the nice things about them. Right. Um, I won't go into any details, but I've had multiple experiences where if I just go one layer, so I ask references, can, can you give me a reference with people that have had a history of like maybe five or six years with this person? Right. It's, it's on the outer layers of references that's why hiring from the outside is harder. So I'll just leave it at that. Right. I think that's pretty. No, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a piece of gold right there. Yeah. Is, is references, obviously <laughs> the person is going to give you the names of people who they feel pretty confident are going to say something good about them and not uh, anything else. So, so here's, um, I, I just want to uh, close this segment by saying, yeah. um, I, I know a lot of, and again, part of the focus of this is talking about starting new churches and most new churches start out saying, Hey, we're going to reach lost people. And so one of the things I just want to add to this is when you think about inviting people around you at that, at that early phase where you're, there isn't really, you're not having any worship services. There's not really, the church isn't necessarily tangible yet. It's really important that the first thing you look for uh, is that they themselves, the people you're inviting to be on your team, are actually people who are making disciples, who are, who are connecting with lost people. That's the behavior you want to see. So what you look for is um, how are you engaging with people right now? Because it's, it's not, their behavior is not going to just magically change. And if you really want a church that is a disciple-making church, you've got to start with a group of disciple making people, including yourself. So that's just, uh, that's kind of the one characteristic that a church planner needs to look for. If you're serious about, you know, people say all the time, yeah, we're here for lost people, but then they build a church that attracts Christians. Yeah. And what I'm saying is if you really want to get past that, you've got to, you've got to bring people on board. Now, David, I want to shift. I know there's another question. I haven't seen what the question is. So I want to make sure we, uh, oh, Okay, biggest challenge you have faced as a leader when starting a new church plant or nonprofit organization. Um, so why don't you answer that, David? And then I want to take the last few minutes. We're getting, uh, we've mm-hmm. got about 20 minutes left or less. I want to talk about this idea of leading a team that's diverse ethnically and economically yeah. and stuff like that. So, so I always tell, answer that question. I, yeah, I always tell my, my son loves to make lists. So he's 17 now. And for his whole 17 years since he, well, you know, what, however long he's been able to make lists. Um, I always tell him I'm not real good at picking one thing, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the top, the top thing. So my biggest challenge would, would be included in a, a host of tied for first challenges, um, you know, and starting the organization. Um, I think that if I'm just freestyling, um, I think that some of the organizations that I've started, I started before I knew what the organization was about. Um, I didn't take time. So this, this, this last one that we're starting right now, not last one, I mean, I'm sure there'll be more, um, but the fifth one, um, I've had this idea um, and sent it to Steve 
six months ago, um, seven months ago, eight months ago. But it feels so significant that I need to take my time. Um, I've, if, if you can't describe your organization in two or three sentences, and if you can't fit the vision on one page, I don't think that you, you understand it yet. Um, you know, and so I think that I've started things too soon. Um, and then also, I think that, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, go back to this conversation, but I think that the biggest challenges came from putting people in position way too soon. Um, and, um, and then not, not knowing how to properly disciple somebody out of a position. And I mean that like we can disciple people into what God has called them to do, or we can just like fire people, you know? And, and I think that if you've made a mistake, putting somebody into that position, um, then you need to pay the price of taking more time to get them out as long as there's not um, active trauma going on or, or, you know, dishonesty or, you know, like illegal activity. Um, so I, I would just say, you know, those are the, a lot of the challenges were self-imposed because of impatience yeah. or because of, um, you know, yeah, just not letting the idea marinate enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, yeah, there's a feeling of desperation when you're starting something to, to get, get that team around you and yeah, you tend, you tend to lower the bar and that's, a, yeah. that's a huge, I've had the retainer. At, at, at my my lawyer uh, is uh, is actually Trinity Jordan. He's amazing. If you guys Google that, if you need to start an organization, but they, I've had my retainer with Trinity on this organization for months, and they keep on writing me. Did you mean to not send the rest of the paperwork? And I said, it's just not there yet. And <laughs> and so he's like, all right, you know. So so I'm just learning. It's okay to. I have to live for a long time with an yeah. organization. So yeah. I might as well take my time up front. Take your time. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but Trinity was, actually came to faith in the church that I planted. Yeah, I do. That's awesome. <laughs> Amazing lawyer. So, you guys, uh, well, Trinity, Jordan, Salt Lake, Utah. Yeah. City. Yeah. It's so, it's just, it's so fun to, you know, see how that's played out. So, okay, let's, let's take the last few minutes. Um, you wrote this amazing book, Neighborliness. And it came out at such a timely moment um, with all of the tension that was created that occurred around the, the murder of, of George Floyd. And um, I, uh, and, and anyway, but so, so you could talk, we could, we could have easily talk for probably weeks just around all this, the subject matter of that book. And let's just kind of focus a little bit on some of the lessons that you've learned because the book is about really, um, people from different perspectives, um, yeah. you know, going yeah, along through life. Dividing the, lines. Yeah. 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 And so, but, but specifically let's just talk about the challenges. Cause I know literally this week I had a uh, conversation with a leader who's leading this beautiful multi-ethnic church and man, he just had a, an absolute Armageddon nightmare experience where one of, one of the people of color on the team just, decided that it wasn't working for them anymore and sort of blew everything up. And it was just really, really tough. And I've, I've heard, you know, I've heard stories about, so there's this sort of, uh, you know, hopeful visionary idea of the church that looks like heaven. 
and it's made up of many, you know, tongues and tribes and uh, races and all that kind of stuff. And then there's the reality <laughs> of how hard that is to do. And, you know, t- so let's just talk about building a team where you're, you're deliberately making sure that you include different voices and perspectives. Um, what are some of the things you've learned about that? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I hope, I hope organizational leaders are paying attention right now, right? Because, and not, not just what I'm saying, I'm saying to, to, the, to the, you know, doing a good job of like reading the signs of the time. Um, you don't have a worldwide unified fist in the air moment if there's not a problem. Yeah, the whole world in the last year has, you know, uh, responded to what, what we all saw, the tragedy. Um, and so this is really layered. It's a really nuanced conversation. Um, and so anything that I say, just know that there's layers to what I'm saying. Right. Um, and so I'm going to try and do the best I can, um, with this. Um, I would say a leader builds successful organizations off of instinct and knowledge and anointing. So if we're talking about Christian you know, like based organizations. Actually, I think that non-Christians have anointing too, but that's a whole other story. This might not be using it the right direction. Um, we can't build a diverse organization if we instinctively don't understand what's going on. Um, it only becomes representation, which is uh, a shell and a, a farce of a... Um, um, some sort of expression of, of unity. It's not, it's not really unity. If we don't understand instinctively what's going on in the world around us, if we haven't taken time to really engage in the issues of racial and economic injustice, if we're still saying at home, things like, well, this will blow over, which I've heard all over the country, you know, as we've, we've traveled to 31 states in the last 10 months, you know, sharing this message of neighborliness. Um, so I would say start with like, you know, this is one of you know, three bookshelves that I have in this room that I'm, is your, is your, is what is filling your mind. Look at your audible queue. Look at your Amazon queue is what's filling your mind diverse. Are you learning from a diverse group of people? So when I got home last night, um, I had um, an amazing book that I don't know where it's at, but it, it was all about perspectives on the Bible from women of color. And the reason that I wanted to, to, to do that is when, I, when I'm learning from somebody who has brilliantly engaged in topics from a different perspective of me, I see the world differently because I see the beauty of God through somebody else's lens. And so the, the key to starting um, and building a diverse team is, is your heart being educated and informed with diversity? Because if we're very honest, my bookshelf 15 years ago was full of dead white dudes, you know, and, you know, older white dudes that, you know, that there's nothing wrong with being white. It's just, we've kind of like really, really, really um, taken the stage for a long time. And there's really, really, really brilliant voices that don't look like the three of us. And so, um, so I think that's really important. Um, I would also say um, one of the, biggest trauma points of my life, not just my ministry, my life, um, was when I, um, 
I went too fast on a hire. Um, and I was hiring because I, I knew that we probably needed to hire a person of color. And, um, and so that just goes back to, let's make sure that we realize that like, we are not just hiring to make it look like we are diverse. I wasn't, I was not ready for the perspectives that came in and the person that I hired wasn't ready, um, in some areas of, you know, that don't need to be shared here. Um, it was, it was just a bad, it was a toxic situation. And, um, and so I have to own up to the fact that I hired too fast, but I also, I just didn't, I just didn't understand, um, some of the dynamics that came in from the way that this person grew up and what they were bringing into the experience, which is not good, bad, or indifferent. I just needed to hear their story a little bit more. Um, and then also, I think one of the biggest shifts that I've had is that like, I want, I want my team to be an actual reflection of, of my life and the heartbeat of the organization. I don't want to just put a woman of color on stage and say, Hey, I'm giving this person an opportunity. I want to have a team that is just owning the opportunities that we have this shared leadership of like, um, that, that person just wasn't given the opportunity to do something. They helped create the opportunity, you know? And so, um, so connecting across dividing lines is no different than, than building a relationship with anybody. It's just a lot of times we haven't had enough curiosity about the experience of people of color in our country or in this world. And so instinctively, if I can learn and grow as a human being that cares about people that are different than me, then I can start hiring in a way. And I'm going to actually attract talent from people who are not, that don't look like me because they're going to, they're going to vibe with me right away where it's like, you know, like I'm not asking, well, what do you mean by that? Or, you know, like, Oh yeah. Or if I have something to substantive to say about the world around us and what's going on, um, you know, we've, we've interviewed people that like, you know, long time later, they would say, I just knew from the beginning that you were actually about it. And I used to not know what that meant. Now I know what that means. And, and so I would say the biggest thing that I could say is don't hire for representation, um, hire for talent, for giftedness. And if your heart is being formed and shaped in a diverse way, and you're truly oriented to look at the world from other perspectives, you're going to start seeing your talent pool grow even more and more and more. Um, because there's lots and lots of talent out there that, that a lot of people haven't even given a chance. Oh, I would also say we hire people that we know. And so if you're relational circle, I, I really believe this. Um, uh, I was with an organizational leader, probably 120 employees. And they were talking with me about this and I was trying to help them. And he said, I'm hiring the best people I know. And I said, well, do you know people that don't look like you? So your relational circle also opens up vocational circles, right? Like your, your talent pool gets... Um, I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but that was like really quotable. Um, like, um, you know, like when your relational circle gets bigger, um, that the talent pool gets bigger because you're able to see, man, there, there's a whole world of really gifted people. And how stupid is it that so many of us didn't even consider that our relationships might, <laughs> might, uh, might grow the talent pool that we could, could choose from. So there's a lot of things we could talk about. I'm just trying to give some high level thoughts here. 
Yeah, that, that, that's really good. Um, yeah, and we've got about five minutes left, so um, I want to make sure you have a chance. I, I'm I'm guessing there might be some people out there that want to know what how they can engage with you. I know you you're spending time helping churches and organizations yeah. um, figure out you know how to how to serve well in a complicated world and how to unite across dividing lines. So, um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, neighborliness, kind of a mouthful, but neighborliness.com is uh, it's the same title as the book that, that I wrote. Um, there's a tab, so like neighborliness.com slash resources um, has a whole bunch of free resources to engage in these conversations on an organizational or church level. Um, you know, I, I put together frameworks, I do consulting work with churches, businesses, organizations. Um, you know, take people on a learning journey. Um, you know, six, I've got a six-month learning journey that I'll take executive teams um, on that journey. I, um, you know, work with churches across the country on building teams around pastors that can create what we call neighborliness teams, to where the pastor is not the not the one that is always having to address every everything that you know comes up in the community along the lines of racial and economic injustice. Um, we go on a six-month learning journey together. I do a once-a-month you know, Zoom session with with a team. So it's, it's a really flexible model of just learning and growing and, and reading and sharing together. And um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so neighborliness.com and uh, the resources tab there has a ton of uh, resources that, that folks can engage in for free. Thanks, David. You got so much going on. And I know uh, giving us the time today was uh, a sacrifice on your part. And I just want you to know, I appreciate it. And it's always a privilege to talk with you. I'm going to hand it back to Kirk and let him Thanks, man. land the plane here. All right. I love you, Steve. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Again, this has been Dr. David Dukasen, author of Neighborliness. Fantastic book, challenging book. I uh, should definitely pick that one up if you haven't already. Neighborless, neighborliness.com. You did it. Right. <laughs> and, of course, uh, we've been talking through uh, – uh, the principles from Next Wave, which you can download this chapter for free from Steve's book at nextwave.community slash rethink dash team dash building. And so uh, we'll get that link out to you. You can uh, just plug in your email and we will send you a PDF free for that chapter. And of course, you can find that book on uh, Next Wave community. You can also find it on Amazon. You can also join the Next Wave community, where if you want to join with others who are in the church planting journey and get free resources from uh, the conversations happening there, uh, you can uh, get a free month in that as well at nextwave.community. And we'd love to see you. There. Dave, David is actually, Dr. Dukasen is actually a member of that. So, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Steve, any final thoughts we want to drop on people as we sign out here? Well, I, all I would, yeah, I just, I hope that you will take time to get to know David through his writing and engage with him because his, the message he's bringing right now is so important and so timely and so needed. So um, uh, just don't, don't let it just be something you put off act now. And uh, I encourage you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate y'all.